Our scripture reading today is from Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. As you can see, we are in the middle of a series in the month of November called Making a Mosaic, and we are telling our church's story a bit and looking at our core values of worship and community and mission, and of course, if you were here last week, you know, we talked about our value of mission, and I know that was quite a lot. If you weren't here, of course, you can catch that podcast, but if you were here, I know that it was a lot because the people who came in after you said, man, what did you talk about? Because people walked out of here like in a state of shock with their eyes Real big. So anyway, I know it was a lot, uh, but as big and broad as last week was, this week I kind of want to swing the pendulum the other way and just have a little more uh, of a conversation and make it as simple and practical as I can as we talk today about our core value of community. And here's how I'd like to set that up with this thought. I think that one thing that we really all have in common is that we want to be known for something. Right, You want to be known for something, and whatever that something is, whatever it is that you would say that you would want to be known for, that thing uh, drives so much of your behavior, of your choices, of your actions, and certainly whatever it is that you want to be known for drives and determines whatever it is you post on social media. Right. So what is it that you want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? Of course, in the spirit of transparency, I thought I would go first today and open up a bit about my life and certainly probably my wife's pain uh, a bit. And so here's what we're going to do is I'm going to go first and I'm going to talk about what I want to be known for. And then we're going to start with you here, sir. And then we're going to work our way all the way around the room. I'm just kidding. As I thought about this question, I thought, you know, if I were to be honest, I would want to be known as a person who wins. As a winner, and I know that sounds so silly and shallow and probably whatever it is, if you've never articulated it before to someone, it's going to sound silly or shallow, but that's just what I would want to be known for. And I don't really know where it comes from other than to say it all hit ahead about two years ago when I was sitting in the middle of this coach's instructional training. I was in one of those trainings they make you do so you won't yell at the umpires uh, in Little League baseball games. And I was in the middle of it, and the instructor there asked a question. He asked, do you know what the number one reason is that kids play sports? And I thought, well, I know the answer to that one. That's an easy one. I played sports because I wanted to beat people. (laughs) I played sports because I wanted to win. And he said, you know, winning has nothing to do with the number one reason kids play sports. And I thought, I do not want to be on any of those people's teams. I thought, those teams probably stink. I don't want to be on those teams. And he said, no, kids, actually, uh, we took a poll, and they want to be on, uh, on sports teams to be a part of a community, to be part of a team, to have fun, to get better, to be with their parents. And I thought, what is wrong with these people? What's wrong with kids today, you know? 
And I thought, no, actually, what's wrong with me? I am clearly the outlier here. I am the one with the issue of Jesus. Help me, right? Help me. uh, And certainly you can pray for me and pray for my wife. Now, that's, again, what I'd want to be known for in part. And probably like a lot of you, I'd also like to be known as a good father, right? Uh, As a good husband and certainly someone who really loves Jesus. That's what I want to be known for. How about you? What do you want to be known for? Now, second question is, well, what do you do when you don't measure up? What do you do when you don't measure up who you, to, to, to who you want to be? What do you do when your actions don't match up to your image, huh? What do you do when who you want to be and what you actually are? What happens when you don't measure up to that? And I don't know about you, but here's what I do when that happens. <sighs> And I think I know what you do. We start to pretend. We start to to pretend. We start to defend. We start to mislead. We start to manage our image. And why do we do this? Why do we pretend and defend and mislead? I think we do those things because we don't have anyone who really knows us and at the same time can help us. Right? Someone who is absolutely uh, committed to loving us all the way to the bottom, knowing all about us, and yet remains committed to our highest good and helping us maybe out of where we are. I think that most Americans, maybe many of you today, you either have one kind of person or the other. You either have on one hand, you've got some people, and yeah, maybe they know all about you, and they know all about your dark stuff, but that's only because they're in the dark stuff with you. And they can't pull you out of where you are. Or on the other hand, you've got the kind of person that you would see and you would think, yeah, I know that they're committed to my highest good, that they could be a person who could help me. But because you haven't let them in, they've remained at arm's length. And their help to you remains no good. It remains stalled. It remains at arm's length. And so if you don't have this, if you don't have someone who both knows you, who loves you all the way to the bottom, and yet remains committed to your highest good, if you don't have both those kind of people in your life, a group of people like that, Guess now what church becomes. Church becomes a place where you pretend. Church becomes a place where you pretend. And churches can become places of such pretending and pretense. And don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about today. Become places of such pretense. And by the way, I don't think this is typically true of us as a church. I really don't. But I think just like with any size group of people that's of any size, that it can become at least partially true of us. And because I never, ever want this to become typically true of us, that's why we're talking about this today. But again, churches can become places of such pretense of people pretending. And why do we do this? Why do you do this sometimes? Well, you know, in part it's because... You know, you just, you just want to look good sometimes. I mean, look at you today. You're looking real good, right? I mean, you're looking really good. And some of you, even though you may not have done it all week, thank God you showered today, right? You got up this morning and, man, that water came on and you knew it was going to be a good day. And maybe even miracle upon miracles, glory to God, your teenager you know, took a shower. You got the babies clean. You got them powdered. They're fresh. You came on your way. And no matter how bad the ride in that tan minivan was on the way to church today, no matter how much you may have yelled at your spouse, right, when you hit the parking lot, 
you put a smile on your face. And as your children followed you, right, like little ducklings out of the minivan that you dreamed all your life of driving, I know. But as they followed you out of the minivan, they all put smiles on their faces because you threatened them with no Christmas if they dared to share with someone what actually happened in the car on the way to church, right? Now, I know, I know you do this because, gee, you don't want to be a burden on someone first thing in the morning. You don't want to make other people responsible for your problems. And yet, at the same time, up to a point, you do this because you want to be seen as something, right? To maintain a particular kind of image. And because maybe, maybe, maybe your actions haven't matched that image, now you have started to pretend. And by the way, if that was you today, and that was your story at a parking lot and a smile, there's no cameras on you, no no, uh, no spies in a parking lot. I just know all is forgiven because I know that's been me at some point in my life. Been there, done that, and got both t-shirts and all that. But I think the real reason we pretend and we defend and we mislead, not just about parking lots and smiles, but about the real stuff, about the important stuff, about the stuff that really, really matters and determines the course of our life in the long run is because we don't have a place to be real. And that brings me to now my third question. Third question is this, where now do you go when you don't measure up? Where do you go? Do you have a group of people to go to when your actions and your image don't measure up? And the reason that this is so important is this, if you don't have a group of people with whom you can be real, who are both committed to loving you all the way to the bottom and making sure that they are there for your highest good, dragging you out of where you've been, if you don't have all of that, then now, now, now. Again, you're a pretend person, and here's the problem. Who can really love a pretend person? Who can really love a pretend person? Who can really love an image? Who can love a pretend you? How can they love someone who's not really there? And some of you may say, man, I've gone to church, and I've been to church, and no one loved me, or are you coming in and say, I would really love it if someone would love me, and yet maybe, maybe you haven't been real. How can people love you? me if we're just being pretending again you know who can be the worst about this right sometimes many times the people who were the worst at this are pastors yeah or people in positions of public leadership or you're in a position of authority or authority figures or even if you're just a parent today uh, you, you know you feel this pressure to to maintain some kind of a you know an image and I certainly feel that and come on up to a point you know you don't you don't really want to know all my stuff you don't want to know it. I mean, the last thing that, that you would probably want to hear me say when you came in today is if I started off and said, you know what, everybody, before we get going today, I just want to sp- send a special shout out to the elders because they pulled me out last second at the club last night and man, it was getting crazy up in there. So I didn't want to thank them for getting me out of there just in the nick of time. And by the way, today we're starting a brand new series called One More Chance. And the reason we're calling it that is because my wife, God bless her, she couldn't be here today. Matter of fact, she's not coming back because she says our marriage is such a wreck. But she told me last night she was giving me one more chance or she was out of here. And so today we're going to talk about how to have a great marriage. (laughs) 
Now, on one hand, of course, you don't want inauthenticity, but at the same time, you just kind of don't want to know all my stuff either. You just want to make sure he's okay, they're okay, kids okay, marriage okay, check. He can talk to me now, right? And listen, when you do what I do, I mean, there's just lots of people who know who I am, but I may not know who you are, and this happens to me just about every week now. Someone will come up and say, you know what, I, uh, uh, you know, I saw you last week, and you were at the, uh, at the gym or the restaurant or uh, the, uh, the, the gas station or the wherever, the movie theater, and I was kind of too shy to come up to you, but I know who you are. I just wanted you to know that I saw you. So I'm time traveling. I'm thinking, what was I wearing? You know, what was I doing? You know, uh, you know, what, was I nice to people? And my wife gets this too, of course. Sometimes she's in the in the in the grocery store and she's in there, you know, and she's juggling our, our, our four or fourteen kids or whatever it is this week. It feels like that. But she's in there and she's like checking out an aisle seven, right? An aisle seven, and, and our kids are all a mess because they're they're fired up and feisty and fighting about the ice cream they don't have or the gum or the toy or the whatever they're not getting. And she's there in yoga pants and no makeup, right? And someone comes up to her and says. Aren't you the pastor's wife? I know you from church, you know. Now, now, listen, I love what I do. I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me at all. I love what I do. I love being here with you. I love us. I love mosaics. So don't, please don't for a second feel sorry for me. Although you could maybe just feel a smidge sorry for Carrie because I did drag her into all this after all, right? So you could feel sorry for that. But listen, my point is this, that, that no matter who you are, you're in a position of authority or leadership or public leadership, or you're a parent with your kids looking at you, or your roommate, right? Not a Christian looking at you. You feel some kind of pressure to maintain who you're supposed to be. I want to know where you go when you don't measure up. What do you do? Where do you go? Do you have people who both simultaneously know you to the bottom and yet are committed to you, to the core, who know you and can help you? Who do you have for that inevitable moment when a gap opens up between your actions and your image? Now, some of you may be saying, man, what's wrong with him? You know, is he going to crack today? Is today the day he finally cracks? You know, mom, what's wrong with that guy? You know, no, I'm actually doing great. Thank you very much. I'm actually doing really good. And part of that is because... Over the last years of my life, I have found and committed myself to what I am talking about to you today, and it has made all the difference. But the truth is that none of us really live perfectly up to any image we would ever, we would ever want to have. And therefore, if you don't have a place where you can go, if you don't have a group of people who can carry you over that inevitable chasm that opens up between your actions and your image, when you hit that moment, if you don't have those people like that, like that man in the Gospels had who was sick, whose friends carried him to Jesus when he couldn't make it, if you don't have that kind of group of people to carry you over the chasm between your actions and your image when you get there. When the pressure mounts, you won't be carried over. You'll simply fall through and you'll wonder what happened. Now, here's perhaps the craziest part about this today. And here's maybe even the most offensive part about this today. The, the craziest, most offensive part about this is this. The Bible insists that out of all the places that this should happen, could happen, would want to happen, it insists that the church of Jesus would be the place that this really happens. Now, I know that may not have been your experience, and I know that for some of you right now, in this place, this church, 
This may not be your current experience, but that won't stop the Bible from insisting that it can and should be your experience in the thing it calls the church. And let me show you how you can know this. The reason you can know this is because of this one little line and phrase here in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. And this one little phrase and word, when it says here in chapter 10, the writer says, don't, we read it earlier, don't give up meeting together. Pause. When you hear the word meeting, I'm sure a thousand things come to mind. You can think of that bad coffee date meeting thing you had with that guy last night with that guy you probably shouldn't have met and went out with, but you did, but that's all right. It was bad. Never going to see him again. Or maybe that really good meeting at work you had, but neither of those or anything in between really comes close to describing and capturing what this word really means in the Bible. Because the word meeting is the Greek word episynagogue. Episynagogue, where again we get our word synagogue. And this word, episynagogue, really is more like our English word congregation congregation. Now, a congregation is a specific thing. The writer's saying don't quit being a congregation because a congregation is not, by contrast, an aggregation. An aggregation is a collection of individuals who come to listen to a speaker or who show up at a event or see at a concert together. And what we are doing today really leans and tilts more towards being an aggregation. And no, I did not say aggravation. I said aggregation. An aggregation looks like this. Here's an image. Aggregation looks more like a bag of marbles. You've got individuals, marbles, slipping, sliding over one another. They're there. They're kind of touching. But there's no real connection or purpose. But a congregation, an episynagogue, a Bible meeting is more like this image. It's more like a cluster of grapes which are connected organically. Same rough size, right? Same rough shape. But these, these are branching off now into smaller groups and are connected organically. And this word here, this image is why a church, biblically speaking, can be both large and small at the same time. Oh, don't give up meeting together, the writer of Hebrews says, but don't get together like marbles. Get together like grapes. And here's why. A marble, though it's round, right? Though it's around, though it's sort of touching the other marbles. Hear me. A marble can never grow. A marble can never become more than it is. It is confined. It is limited. It will always be the same size, always be the same shape. And a marble, because it's not connected organically, because it can never grow, a marble can only get damaged, nicked, right? Beaten up, which is how people sometimes can feel in churches. It can only get worse with wear over time. But a grape, though it starts small, right? Though it's so vulnerable, yet in the end it can grow and be transformed into something else altogether in the end. Oh, don't quit being the church, he's begging him. Don't quit being a congregation. Don't quit being clusters of people who meet together, grow together. So where can we do that? Where do we become more real together? Now, in one part, yes, it's here, right? It's here. But are we, are we really right now actively loving one another? No, 
not, not so much, not really. Are we really sort of teaching one another, serving one another? Well, in small ways, yeah, but in large ways, not really. This isn't the place where that happens. Well, where does it happen? Well, somewhere else. I like to propose a kind of somewhere else where you can open up about your hurts or your struggles, your job. You you teach one another. Get a kind of life-on-life interaction. In other words, yes, you come here on Sundays week in and week out, and you ought to do that. Church isn't less than that. And, And if you don't come here, you won't have what the Bible calls church either. And there's so much that's healthy about prioritizing this, right? I mean, you need something bigger than your life and your family. You need something bigger than your life and your family and your kids' sports and your kids' activities and all of that. And as we gather as a beautiful, multicolored wisdom of God, a multi-ethnic church, we do proclaim the gospel to one another. We proclaim it to the spiritual powers in our city. We proclaim it to guests who come who want to know and ask, how in the world can all y'all get together? But as often, thank you, but as often... As you and I come here, we'll never have that, right? If all we have is this alone. Don't quit becoming real, this is saying, growing, being connected organically. And back in Hebrews 3, by the way, talking about the same subject, the writer of Hebrews says, if you do that, if you give up your congregation, right, you connect it organically together, you quit being like grapes, here's what's going to, he says, here's what's going to happen. He says, you'll be tricked. You'll be hardened, he says, by the deceitfulness of sin. This is saying that you can't just keep out all the sin in your life on your own willpower alone. You need other people to help you. You'll be tricked into believing you're something that you are not. You'll start to pretend and you won't become real. If you don't have people in your life who both love and accept you, love you to the bottom, committed to the core, Hebrews is saying you're in greater danger than you realize. If you're just a marble, not a grape, you'll never grow and become what you could. This, of course, is why people get into the mess many times in life that they do, right? This is why you look up and you say, whatever happened to that person, right? They used to love Jesus, right? Or maybe even if you were honest, you could look inside yourself today and you'd say, what happened to me? What happened to my fervency, passion for Jesus? What happened? Well, maybe, possibly, likely what happened is you quit meeting together. You gave up on your episynagogue, right? Uh, your community small group. You say, well, I went once or twice and nobody got real vulnerable, so I quit going back. Okay, all right. For those of you who were married, did it, did it get real? Did it get deep on that second date at the bowling alley, right? Did you go deep in just two times together? Oh, no, you didn't. Why? Because real, authentic community happens, hear me, when you combine two key ingredients, time plus vulnerability. Time plus vulnerability. Going deep, meeting together, having a kind of community we would all want means this. It means you go first and you go last. You go first in vulnerability and don't demand it of others. And you go last in terms of self, being offended, counting people's sins against them, right? You go first and you go last. Be vulnerable first. Be offended and demanding last. And if you do that, if we'll do that, guess what might just happen? It might just get real. We might just get real. We need a place where we can be both celebrated and challenged. Not one or the other, but both. And we go and we go, 
and we go, and we don't give up meeting together. One of the best ways I know to illustrate this is from, of all places, from the, from the Odyssey by Homer. Now, some of you, if you're like me, your teacher made you read it in high school, and I still remember it. And if you don't know the story, it's about a guy named Odysseus. And Odysseus is on his way back on, like, this epic journey back to see his family and get back to his wife, right? And so he's on this voyage and on this epic journey. And at one place in the book, he's got to sail past the island of the sirens, right? These sirens with this song, and their song is so beautiful and so alluring, right? It fills these men's hearts with so much desire that they're tempted to go on shore and meet them, except unknown to the sailors, there's all these rocks right below the surface, and so these men crash and die and never make it. And Odysseus knows he's coming. He knows he's on the way, and as he's about to sail past the the island of the sirens, he does this. He ties himself to the mast, on the ship, and he gives all his sailors wax to put in their ears so that he can't, they can't hear him or the sirens. And he says this, he says, as we go past the island, you're going to hear me t- say terrible things. You're going to hear me beg you to drive us over here on a course we, did, we shouldn't go into. But he says, but don't listen to me. If you ignore me, we'll all live. I'll live. Now here's what he's saying. He's saying this. I love it. He's saying, give me what I need, not what I really want. Give me what I really need, not just what I want. And I think, I want to propose to you, that the mark of a mature Christian is like Odysseus in this way. Someone who says to his congregation, give me what I need, not just what I want. Let me ask you, do you know that the flaws of your life, the ones that can most shipwreck to, you're likely the most blind to. Hmm? Hear me. You can have individualistic freedom. Come and go, come and go, come and go. Or you can have a loving community. Boundaries, limitations, people in your life, in your business, in your stuff. You can have one or the other. Individualistic freedom or a loving community, but you can't have both. I want to encourage you to predetermine today to bind yourself to the mast of community and become real. And as you do so, here is what it is all for. Here's what it's leading for. I love this. He says, and therefore, let us consider. Here's what it's all for. As we are become real together, now we can consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. When you got that environment, when you got your episynagogue, when you got your people, now you can really become real and do love and good deeds. And this word good here, it doesn't just mean nice stuff, right? Pat on the back stuff. This means beautiful things, uh, precious things, praiseworthy things, artistic things. This is saying, as you gather and you meet together and you exhort one another, do stuff that makes your church more beautiful. You can only do that with people in your life. So, I want to make this, like I said, real practical, real plain for you. And so now I want to just suggest, I'm going to move through these real quick, propose four ways that your congregation, your epi-synagogue, your meeting folk, four good works that you can do that can make your church, this church, a place that's even more beautiful than it is. I'm going to move through these quickly. <clears throat> Here we go. And I do these every year, but I want to make sure I keep them in front of you. Number one, your, your group, your people can encourage you. I'm going to encourage you to connect. And specifically, I want to encourage you to connect in a specific way. And here's what I mean. There's some of you, not, not, not folks, you're just, you're brand new. But those of you, some of you have been here and you've been here 
and you've been here. And we're glad that you're here. I'm so glad you're here. But you never formally joined the church. You say, well, yeah, but Jesus didn't talk much about church membership. Well, no, he didn't either talk about that or about like what color, you know, chairs to get or how we do children's ministry or how the, what songs we're going to play. No, he said to, you, to his disciples, you all, I'm going to build my church through you. And Paul the apostle comes along, one of Jesus' apostles, and he says this. He says that God places his members in the body where he sees fit. And all church membership is is a formal recognition of what God has already done. See, people think, I hear it all the time, they think they're being super spiritual by not joining a church. But you're not being super spiritual. You're just being super cultural because our culture is full of non-joiners, right? Full of non-joiners all the time. If your gym can ask you to join, surely, 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 The church of Jesus can ask you to formally recognize what God has done in your life. So here's what I'm asking, just appealing to you. Don't come here for some kind of, you know, Bible teaching show. You take some notes. If you got kids, you just ask other people to watch them. Watch them. Keep watching them. Every week. Ignore people out in the parking lot right on the way out. Don't do that. Listen, commitment helps you become more real. And isn't that what we would all want to be in the end? I think we would. So connect. Number two, I'm asking you to serve. And here's what I mean. Uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. This church, hear me, never has been and never will be built on the gifts and the sacrifice of just a few but on the gifts and the sacrifice of many. It's going to be built on the sacrifice of many. And what many of you have tasted as you've come in here, you say, man, this tastes kind of nice. Maybe you don't think that, and that's okay too. But if you do, that's great. I like you better. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. All right. I'm honest today, right? It's okay. But you come in here and you've tasted something, and what you taste is the legacy from countless others of what they have given and what they have sown and how they have served. And if you, if you don't turn around, once you know this is your place and your people, and you don't begin to immediately serve and contribute in that way, you begin to dilute what tasted good to you in the first place. You just begin. You begin to dilute it. So I'm appealing to you. Get on a service team and grow. Make friends sacrifice together. It keeps this church the kind of church that you wanted to be a part of in the first place and helps you become real. Three. So number one, give. Connect. Number two, serve. Number three, give. And I mean specifically to give financially. And uh, if you were here a few months ago, I think back at the end of August, and if you were here on our Live Big Sunday, come on, wasn't that a great Sunday? It was a great Sunday. We raised in one day $38,000 to give away. In one day we gave, we raised that to give away to Hurricane Harvey Relief. And uh, we do that every year to give that to some group that's got nothing to do with us. And I love that day. One of my favorite Sundays of the year. Uh, a matter of fact, I hope one day we can write a million-dollar check. By God's great Jesus' name, let that happen. One day a million-dollar check we just give away to some group in the city and totally turn maybe some part of the city around. Now, that was amazing. And we did that in one day. And yet, in a way, it didn't take us just one day. It actually took us eight years to be able to do that because that's about how long our current leadership team and sort of core has been in place. And the reason we've been able to do that is because over these last years, it's taken us that long to be financially stable, to be able to give that amount of money away into the city 
That's a lot of money, by the way. I can think of a lot of things I could do around here with that amount of money for this church. But the reason we've been able to do that is because we've had so many, and so many of you have been, again, hundreds of you have been faithfully giving a percentage of your income, some starting at 10, 12, 15, even 20%. I know that you give to enable this church to be what it, it is and what it does, and you all are heroes of the church in this way and let me tell you why because these are people who have said i don't care if you do something magical with my dollars right i don't care if my money goes to paying for a facility or changing light bulbs or carpets or salaries or stuff my money isn't special money that can only go to stuff that gives me goosebumps right when i give it but i trust you morgan i trust the leadership team of this church and i know that many of you do most of you do maybe all of you do because every year when we have our financial meeting there's only like 10 people who show up so you know when stuff's going bad as we know people show up all right but additionally I need you. We need you. You need you. I would appeal to you. Need you to give to our building facilities financial ask. As you heard, I mean, we're just about fifty percent of the way there, and that's amazing. But it's going to take every single person here at Mosaic to make it happen. You say, "Well, man, I'll just catch the next one." Please don't let that be you. Don't let yourself, your heart go there. This is a good work. Giving in this way is a good work. It makes our church more beautiful. Helps you become real. That's number three. Number four, finally, I want to encourage you and encourage you in your community groups, in your small groups, to encourage one another, to invite, invite. And here's why this one is so important. If you were to ask me, Morgan, what is your biggest concern? What's your number one concern for the church? Here it is. And it's the same thing every year. My number one concern for the church is what it's been since day one when I got here and I learned this lesson. That the gravitational pull of a church is always towards itself. I, I got here, started pastoring. You find out, man, there's always people who are, you know, getting married and getting sick. But that's not necessarily connected, right? Not necessarily in that order. All right, some of you will get that later. But there's always babies being born. We had like another baby born this week, Jamie Smith. It's amazing. Somebody else is getting married tonight. It's always happening. There's always folks sick or needs are getting met. And people are wanting their needs met or getting upset if their needs aren't getting met. And isn't it funny that while no one ever wants to be a part of a church that's only concerned with meeting its own needs, only about itself, that if we're not careful, we can look up and just say, I'm here to get my needs met, right? But what does Jesus's, what does his commissions call us to do? To be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And so I want to encourage you, invite someone, invite someone new. And when you do, you'll see the church through new eyes. Not just about what it can do for you, right? But about what we can do together. And of course, when you're here, you're not praying, man, the, the worship team goes 30 minutes extra. What are you praying? Man, you're praying that I don't do something stupid, right? And talk about money. On the Sunday, you brought a friend. Oh, wait, it's too late for that. As you meet in your groups, it says, let us consider how we may spur one another. That word means irritate in the Greek. Isn't that a great word? Some of you say, I mean, I know I'm in the right church. There's lots of folks who irritate me around here. Good. It's confirmation. You're in the right spot. Spur one another. It says, irritate one another into joining, right? connecting, serving, giving, inviting. Final question. How can we be vulnerable enough to do all of this, right? How can we be vulnerable 
and have this kind of place together. Look at verse 19. The writer says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us to the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Here's what this is telling us. This is saying, oh, if we have, this is saying, if you've already got the confidence to enter into the presence of Almighty God, who knows every little thing about you, if you've got the confidence to stand before someone who knows you, who could judge you, who could bring judgment upon your life, but you've got confidence enough to stand before someone like that, how much more should you have the confidence to stand before one another before your brothers and sisters in the church of Jesus. And we can do this the same because of Jesus, because of Jesus' life, because of his death, because of his resurrection. This is saying we can come before Almighty God with confidence. We can come before one another with confidence. We can be vulnerable. Why? Because he has been vulnerable first. Hasn't he been vulnerable first, church? Hasn't he gone first in vulnerability? and been last in demanding his own way, his own needs. He's gone first and been last. And he has left us an example that we should follow in his steps.